0: Welcome to the Clifford Chance podcast, where our experts discuss pressing issues and trends faced by the business world today. We're going to be talking about the food and healthcare sectors and what our clients in these sectors need to be thinking about in relation to the UK's withdrawal from the EU. We'll talk about the way these sectors are regulated and what that means for the future. And we'll look at a couple of different outcomes a hard Brexit where the UK leaves the EU without a withdrawal agreement, and a softer version of Brexit where the UK maintains a much closer relationship for example, through a customs union. I'm joined by my colleagues, Dr Gunnar Sachs and Nicolas Reiko. Gunnar is a partner in the corporate practice of our Düsseldorf office and a key member of the firm's industry groups, healthcare, life sciences and chemicals, as well as consumer goods and retail. Nicolas is an associate also in the corporate practice of our Düsseldorf office and he specializes in healthcare. My name is Gail Orton. I head up the firm's EU public policy practice and I have a background in the agri-food sector. Perhaps before we get into the substance of the topic, it's worth taking stock of where we are in relation to the Brexit process. So the original Brexit date of the 29th of March 2019 has been and gone. The UK requested and was granted a couple of extensions. Uh, The latest extension runs until the end of October this year, unless the UK ratifies the withdrawal agreement in advance of that, in which case it leaves the first day of the month following ratification. And because the date of the withdrawal has been pushed back, the UK is now participating in the European elections. Uh, And in fact, the latest political developments in the UK appear to indicate that we'll have a new prime minister as early as next month. So let's have a look at what all of this means for business. Obviously, there's a lot of uncertainty. So if we begin with the food sector, Let's talk a bit about the economics of the food
1: chain in Europe. Gunnar, shall we start with you? Yeah, sure. As to the uh, the economics of the food and beverage sector and Brexit for EU producers, employing 44 million people across Europe and the UK, the agri-food sector is likely to be one of the most affected by Brexit. The EU27 is an important uh, exporter of agri-food products to the UK with a volume of around about uh, 40 billion in 2017. EU member states export significant volumes of agri-food products to the UK, notably fresh and processed fruit and vegetables, but also meat products and food preparations. From the date of Brexit, the UK would become the main agri-food trade partner of the EU, both in terms of exports and of imports. Movements of goods between the UK and the EU27 will be imports and exports rather than intra-EU flows. The biggest impact will be in the levying of tariffs on EU products imported into the UK and UK products imported into the EU27.
0: Yeah and on the UK um, side you've got kind of a similar picture. Uh, The UK actually though is a net importer of food meaning that it only produces about 60% of what it consumes annually so it's highly reliant on imports uh, and most of those imports in the food sector come from the EU27 uh, almost three quarters of all agri food imports come from, from Europe. Uh, the key uh, countries that export to the UK are the Netherlands, Germany, Ireland, and France, and as Gunnar, you've said, covers everything from dairy, fruit, and vegetables, uh, and meat products. And in fact, the UK farming industry has been calling for protections for the sectors that they're arguing are the most sensitive and the most vulnerable to this new uh, situation. Um, That includes the sheep meat, uh, beef and dairy, Uh, those have probably been the most vocal. And the UK government a few weeks ago now uh, published information about what it was doing to plan for a no-deal Brexit and it published the tariffs that it would apply on uh, food and agricultural goods coming into the UK. Uh, The UK has said that they're not intending to apply any checks or tariffs on products from the Republic of Ireland into Northern Ireland and no checks on EU produce, uh, at least in the initial stage, and that's for the obvious sensitive reasons, um, which are well known. But UK farmers and food producers would face the full EU WTO tariffs on products that are going the other way. So it's potentially a very difficult economic situation for UK farmers and food producers. And this was evident in the public statements of the UK Secretary of State for the Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, the effective agriculture minister in the UK. Michael Gove, he gave a speech at the UK National Farmers Union, uh, probably a couple of months ago now, but he really did give a stark warning of the difficulties that a no-deal outcome would pose for the sector in the UK. I think that was highly poignant, not least because he was very involved in the uh, Vote Leave campaign, so for him to have been uh, so honest and um, downbeat about what it meant for the sector I think was, was significant. Um, So we know that tariffs would have a devastating impact on the agricultural sector. What impact is the uncertainty having, Gunnar? What are your clients doing to prepare?
1: Some some of our clients from the relevant industry, uh, which are based in the UK, are indeed planning to relocate parts of their operations abroad, or have already shifted them to cope with the worst effect of Brexit. Other companies have been forced to spend a lot of money on contingency planning, and others have had to cut jobs or delay expansions or idle production. In addition, there are many more areas impacted other than tariffs. Businesses with pan-European supply chains may lose the benefits of VAT simplification measures that avoid the need for local VAT registrations in individual EU countries they operate in. There is potential for delays at the UK-EU border once the UK is no longer part of the customs union, since exports and imports may need to be inspected and more paperwork may be required, uh, which adds time and expense. Therefore some companies have even stockpiled months worth of ingredients in case of port delays. In general, EU food and animal feed safety, but also hygiene and labelling legislation will be converted into UK law. The European Union Withdrawal Act 2018 provides that uh, when the UK leaves the EU, certain directly applicable EU legislation will be converted into UK law. The Act is designed to ensure the UK exits the EU with certainty, continuity and control. It will provide a functioning statute book on the day UK will leave the EU and maximize certainty for individuals and businesses. It is definitely important to know that the EU has clearly stated it will only do the minimum which is necessary to mitigate the most significant disruptions due to brexit responsibility lies with the member states economic operators and individuals to ensure they are ready especially business in the healthcare food and beverage industries need to prepare and take action now they need to take responsibility for their situation and have to assess the potential impacts of a brexit on their business model Make the necessary economic decisions and take and conclude all required administrative steps. Let's take an example um, from the food industry: additives, for example, can only be placed on the market if the EU, uh, in the EU, if they are on a community list of authorized authorized substances. And after the UK's withdrawal from the EU, with or without an agreement in place, it is unlikely the EU will recognize an authorization of a third country such as the United Kingdom. The EU has no intention of changing this because it would be seen or could be seen as undermining the EU's decision-making autonomy. Another example is food labeling. Respective regulations require that the list of ingredients and the business name and address of the food business operator must be provided to consumers. This can be a business established in any of the EU member states and does not need to be in the member state where the product is ultimately marketed and sold. For pre-packed products sold in the UK, the label would in future need to include the name and the UK address of the responsible food business operator. An EU address alone would no longer be valid for the UK market. For foodstuffs already labelled and placed on the UK market bearing an EU27 address, these will be allowed to be sold through the, through, uh, until stocks are exhausted. The UK government will consult on an option to continue to allow for a specific time following the UK's withdrawal from the EU with no agreement in place, food bearing an EU address to be placed on the UK market. But after the UK has exited the EU, a UK address will no longer be valid for the EU market and an address uh, within the EU 27 will be required. A UK address together with an EU address on the label could be valid for both. The UK and EU markets.
0: So let's discuss the no-deal outcome, what would it look like?
1: A no-deal outcome would uh, indeed create quite a mess and emergency situations for dozens of issues. Uh, But deal or no deal, the UK will become a third country and companies in the UK and on the continent need to consider what will change for them. What will be, for example, the impact on authorizations, on licenses, on certificates on the labeling of products, but also on imports and, on, and exports, or even ownership structures, they there are need, like in the airline industry, to be majority EU-owned? If so, after Brexit, that means EU 27, not EU 28. Or what shall apply with respect to the handling of personal data? Companies must stay informed, and uh, they need to be ready to be reactive. Very reactive in the event of no deal, in particular. And of course, we are ready to help them in this preparation.
0: I'm sure there are plenty of parallels with the healthcare sector. Nicolas, uh, do you want to give us an overview of where things stand in that sector?
2: Yeah, thank you, Gail. I'm happy to. The most immediate impact of Brexit on EU regulation in the healthcare sector was the decision to relocate the European Medicines Agency, the EMA, from London to Amsterdam. The EMA is responsible for authorizing medicines for use in Europe, so it plays a key role. More generally speaking, the implications of Brexit for the healthcare and the life sciences industry will depend on the framework ultimately chosen by the UK and the extent to which UK and EU legislation will be harmonized in the future. If the UK were to join the European Economic Area, similar to Norway for example, which at the moment seems very unlikely, the effects would be less extensive. Conversely, if the UK is unable to negotiate a free trade agreement with the EU or if the parties cannot agree on any agreement governing the post-Brexit relationship, thus leading to a no-deal or a hard Brexit, the consequences could be more extensive.
0: Yeah, and it's probably worth saying a little bit more about um, marketing authorizations at this stage because that's attracted quite a lot of press attention, at least in the UK.
2: Yeah. Can we cover that a bit yeah sure there are currently three different routes for obtaining marketing authorizations within the EU. First of all um, that's the centralized procedure where a single application is submitted to the EMA. Second of all, there's the decentralized procedure where simultaneous applications are made to multiple EU member states and lastly, There's the mutual recognition route, where the product is authorized in one EU member state and a company applies for this authorization to be recognized in other member states. A single marketing authorization is obtained following the centralized procedure, while separate national authorizations use the latter two procedures. New products for sale in the EU after Brexit will still require an EU authorization using any of the three procedures.
0: So, if, like Switzerland, the UK wasn't in the European marketing approval system, would it have to introduce a separate approval system which may not recognise EU authorisation, Nicholas? And does that mean that any company which aims to market a new product in the UK would need a separate national UK authorisation, perhaps under different laws, is that
2: right? Absolutely. This would likely result in an increase in the administrative burden and an increase in cost to all pharmaceutical companies marketing their products in both the EU and the UK. If the UK is within the European marketing approval system, it may enact grandfathering rules for products within, with marketing authorisation obtained via the centralised procedure prior to Brexit in order to ensure these products remain marketable in the UK post-Brexit. However, further details and the requirements for the companies to maintain these authorizations are not yet clear. If the UK is outside the European marketing approval system and in light of the additional tasks the relevant UK authorities would have to perform, longer process times post-Brexit can be expected. Further regulatory requirements stipulating that pharmaceutical companies apply for separate marketing authorizations in the UK would likely lead to the creation of additional access barriers.
0: And what about um, clinical trials? What changes are we likely to see there?
2: Um, The EU clinical trials regulation is due to enter into force this year. It will create a streamlined administrative system and approval process for multi-central clinical trials in the EU. The regulation provides access to a single portal for clinical trial applications, thus making it easier to conduct complex multi-site trials in several EU countries with only one single application. If successful, it is anticipated to make the EU more attractive as a forum to conduct clinical research trials.
0: And what would it mean then if the UK is not within that new system?
2: Well, there will be likely an increase in both costs and administrative burden for all companies. For example, an applicant will have to follow both EU-centralized and UK national clinical trial authorization procedures. In addition, if a UK sponsor of clinical trials wishes to conduct trials in the EU, the sponsor would have to appoint an EU representative. The requirement under the current Clinical Trials Directive of having a representative being legally registered within the European Economic Area will then apply. As Brexit will require the EU to enact its own legislation, one concern is that less data may be available in the UK, as the UK may lose access to that EU data.
0: Yeah, and that's a significant point. Um, What about medical devices, Gunnar, what are some of the considerations in that field?
1: The the EU legal framework on medical devices has not yet been fully harmonized, but it is still based on EU directives which have been transposed into national laws of the EU member states. And the current EU directive on medical devices, as well as the national laws based thereon, require medical devices to obtain a CE mark before being eligible to enter the European market. Uh, Once CE marked in compliance with the national provisions implementing the EU directive, the device can be placed on the European market in any EU member state. Comparable to a marketing authorization of medicinal products, uh, the CE mark is essential for the successful marketing of medical devices in all EU member states. In the event of a no deal Brexit, medical devices manufactured in the UK without having obtained a respective CE mark under the EU legislative framework would per se not be eligible for the European market.
0: So how would you ensure in those circumstances that a product can be marketed in both the UK and the EU27?
1: Yeah, um, only, Only if the UK and the EU agreed on the mutual recognition of the CE mark and the respective national UK equivalent would the products continue to be marketable in both territories. If a UK manufacturer aiming to market a medical device within the EU does not have a registered place of business in an EU Member State, it would need to designate a single authorized representative in the EU to comply with the EU legislative framework. With respect to vigilance of medical devices, the UK being outside the EU leads to the same results as for the pharmacovigilance system for medicinal products which means that the UK Competent Authority will only have access to a limited set of data and the EU will be deprived of the data collected in the UK. As the efficiency of a vigilance system depends on the availability of effective sources of data, vigilance efficiency will likely diminish with the UK leaving the EU. The new statutory framework for medical devices and in vitro diagnostics in the EU to take effect uh, through the medical device regulations in 2020 and 2022 will enhance the level of harmonization of national legislation within the EU. Outside the EU, the UK would not automatically benefit from these enhancements, especially when it comes to surveillance and traceability throughout the supply chain. An additional access barrier to both markets might be caused by resource constraints at notified bodies. Depending on the classification of the medical device, a certificate following a conformity assessment may need to be issued. As notified bodies already face a considerable increase in queries given the implementation of the medical device regulation and assuming that Brexit will occur almost simultaneously with the medical device regulation entering into force, Capacity constraints are likely to further increase. Uh, and this might be caused by the limited numbers of notified bodies available after Brexit, since any notified body registered in the UK will no longer be part of the EU legislative framework and therefore will not be eligible uh, to conduct assessments or issue certificates under the Medical Device Regulation Legal Framework. Hmm. Okay,
0: let's have a... Um Look at another topic, that of funding, because that's an issue that's attracted quite a lot of press coverage um, also in the UK. What's likely to happen there?
1: Access to EU funding has contributed significantly to research and development projects and initiatives within the UK's life sciences sector. For example, Horizon 2020 is the biggest EU research and innovation programme with hef- 77 billion euros of funding available from 2014 to 2020. It implements the Innovation Union, a Europe 2020 flagship initiative aimed at securing Europe's global competitiveness by encouraging public and private sector collaborations. Similar to the former framework programs, the funds are allocated by a competitive process and the UK has secured 15% of all Horizon 2020 funding to date, second only to Germany. Another example of EU funding is the European Research Council, funds awarded solely on scientific excellence. To date, the UK has been the largest recipient of these awards. Following Brexit, it is uncertain if UK domestic investment will fully replenish the funding gap. The UK could potentially continue to access EU funding if it adopted the Swiss model with over 120 bilateral agreements that do not update automatically. But this is not thought to be an option available because of the EU's reluctance to replicate the Swiss model. With regard to funding for EU-based companies, there may also be a negative consequence of the UK no longer, be, uh, no longer contributing to the EU budget.
0: Thanks Gunnar, thanks uh, Nicolas, you've given us plenty of food for thought there. Um, there's still a lot of uncertainty when it comes to the concrete effects of the Brexit process for businesses on both sides of the channel. And in both scenarios, deal or no deal, the UK is going to become a third country, which uh, as we've heard, has many consequences regarding authorizations, licenses, certificates, but also labeling, imports and exports, ownership structures potentially, and of course the handling of personal data. So advice really is that companies should continue to prepare internally to react to the worst case scenario of a no deal Brexit and take all the necessary uh, measures uh, rapidly. If you want to read more about any of the issues we've discussed, then you can visit our website and the links that we've listed in the short text accompanying the podcast. You've been listening to the Clifford Chance podcast. Please subscribe by visiting cliffordchance.com and follow us on LinkedIn. Until next time.